and welcome to Growth Path. I'm your host, Michelle Tandler. Our teacher and coach for this session is Jesse Hunt. Jesse is a senior enterprise account executive with over a decade's experience in sales. He's worked at some of the hottest companies in Silicon Valley, such as Bright Talk, Zora, Gong, and Hopin. In this episode, How to Write a Cold Email, we dive into one of the most unnerving and tricky stages of the revenue funnel, cold outreach. We cover content, copy, and packaging, when and how to personalize, the art of subject lines, what to do if someone isn't responding, what to put in the body of the email, email versus calls, and how to avoid burnout. We wrap with some common mistakes to avoid and explain the importance of interest-focused CTAs. I found this conversation absolutely fascinating, and I think you will too. All right, let's dive in. Jesse, it is great to have you back as a guest teacher for Sales Level One. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, no, thank you, Michelle. Great to be back. So this this episode is going to be about cold emails and cold outreach. This is something that is very important for anyone who is getting started in sales. It is inevitable that in sales, there will come a time when you have to reach out to someone that you have not met before and ask for a meeting. Maybe to kick us off today, Jesse, could you tell us, how do you think about this initial contact point and start getting going towards the path of having someone consider a purchase? That's a good one. I, I think cold outreach at a high level is something that almost everybody struggles with. It, it's not easy to be in a position where you're making an unsolicited bid for somebody's business or their money or whatever it is in that case. And when you put yourself out there, it's it's a little little scary. One of the things that I think about is there are so many seemingly contradictory versions of the whole do this, don't do that kind of post that you see on platforms like LinkedIn. Uh, that being said, the cold outreach that we do as salespeople can be creative, it can be exciting, and it can still yield the results that we want. So I think before we even get into that, it's probably helpful for us to break down cold emails a little bit more into what is a cold email, how do you make a cold email work, and what what are some different frameworks that you can approach your cold outreach with? Mm-hmm. Great. That sounds great. Let's do that. Okay. One of the really important things here is to draw a distinction between the content or the copy of your outreach and then the proverbial envelope in which that content is delivered. And so what I mean by that is let's take it back to an old school piece of snail mail sent via USPS. If that envelope shows up looking like a piece of junk mail, I'm probably not going to even open it. But if that note shows up in a brightly colored envelope and my name is handwritten on it, you know, maybe it's got a return address that's handwritten. I'll take a peek at what's inside. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, right? It's, it's earned the right to take 30 seconds of my day. And that's what we're trying to do here is earn the right to get somebody's attention. Mm-hmm. All right. How does that relate to email? Thanks for bringing it back to that. I would say similarly to how I was talking about the packaging of the messaging for a uh, old school piece of mail, with an email, the packaging kind of starts with the subject line. That's that's the first thing that your recipient is going to see. And it's something that a lot of people discount. I think of it as like a welcome mat that you as a sender are laying out on the doorstep 
to make your intended recipient feel a lot more comfortable and engaged with what it is that you're positioning. I'll talk about an example of that in just a minute though. Before I give the example, I do want to acknowledge the flip side here, which is a poorly crafted subject line. And we all know what they look like. They're probably sent right to our junk mailbox or you know, our trash can in Gmail is full of poorly crafted subject lines. But one of the worst examples and laziest, in my opinion, is when somebody puts re colon, as in regarding, at the beginning of their subject line when there hasn't actually been a previous conversation. Mm-hmm. I've seen CEOs and other executives take time out of their day to post about how much this annoys them on LinkedIn. Uh, it comes down to trickery, right? You're basically tricking your recipients into opening an email and nobody likes to feel tricked, especially not in the middle of a work day when you're interrupting somebody's flow. So I think just as much as you need to want that to work, you also need to respect the fact that taking shortcuts in the form of um, you know, underhanded tactics, it's not going to work out for you very well in the long term. Right. Given that this is the beginning, hopefully, of a relationship, starting on a foot of lack of trust, probably not the best way to begin. Precisely. Yes. I think sales is all about trust and people buy from people that they like. And I think, Michelle, you, uh, we were just talking about this HubSpot report that you read where it basically stated that buyers buy with emotion and then justify with rationale. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked that line a lot. Yeah. So before we get into the tactical advice for subject lines or the body of emails, maybe it would be fun if you could share a story of a time that you used cold outreach and it worked. Um, just to sort of paint the picture a bit here for people who are new to this idea and maybe a little skeptical that it could ever work. Okay. So thinking back on a creative, exciting example of a cold outreach strategy that worked. All right. Here's a good one. And this is a good one for all you BDRs, SDRs, anybody out there. I, I, I love this story because it actually worked. <laughs> and by the way, there are a lot of stories for tactics that didn't work. When I was getting started in sales as an SDR, one of my accounts was Amazon Web Services. The AE that I was partnered with at my first company and I had a whole plan put together as to how we were going to uh, get in touch with this account. But ultimately, it was up to me to set that meeting. So I started following this prospect on Twitter. He was the SVP of their uh, worldwide marketing services, uh, big title, had been there for several years, definitely somebody who is screening their cold calls to say the least. So I had to think outside the box. And one of the things I noticed is that on Twitter, he was posting a lot about the San Francisco 49ers. Um, he went to their away games. There were photos of him with his son outside of the Seattle stadium, welcoming the team off the bus. There were photos of them at Levi stadium, which anybody who lives in the Bay area knows is not (laughs) the easiest stadium to get in and out of. And I'm pretty sure he made every home game. So at the time, Navarro Bowman was a very well known 49er. And in the subject line of my email to him, I put Navarro Bowman intercepted this email and scored a touchdown made a quick reference to his love for the 49ers in the opening lines of my email. And long story short, we ended up getting the meeting. So I think that level of personalization, just going a little bit further than your average rep, looking for something that's going to make them smile or remind them of something that they love to do outside of work. That's how you start to get their attention. 
in a, in a good way. Hmm. That's funny. Oh my goodness. Do you do things like that often? Is that, or is it more a very special account that deserves that? I mean, I would imagine you can't have that level of personalization for everything, right? I would say you're right. And this is where it's really important to start talking about tiering accounts, the way in which we go about our strategy, you know, figuring out what accounts are going to have a high yield in the short term, what accounts may have a high yield in the long term, and then what accounts probably will not have any yield whatsoever, in which case you don't really want to spend your time there. So that's a roundabout way of answering your question. But uh, in summation, I'd say I target specific individuals at specific accounts with that level of uh, customization. And on the flip side, there are dozens of other accounts, individuals, contacts, et cetera, that go into kind of a, a batch and blast process, so to speak, where it's less customized, but still uh, somewhat familiar. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, why don't we dive into that then? Let's talk about, this is a funny term, batch and blast. Also, I think we should <laughs> define what yield means real quick. Yeah, what is yield? Um, yield in this case, I'm talking about opportunities created, meetings set out of the outreach sequence. Got it. Okay. So let's go back to the bread and butter approach. What are some uh, recommendations that you have on what to do? Okay. So again, starting with the personalized subject line, that is your intro to them. It's the first thing they're going to see in their inbox when they get that note from you. So make sure that it's personalized um, to the individual you're sending it to. Can I ask you a quick question about that? When you say personalized, can you give an example of something that would be personalized versus not? Like I have a bunch of emails to send right now. I usually don't personalize them or maybe I am and I don't know it. How, what do you mean by that? So here's an example. When I was working at Gong, one of the things that we did really well is we would find sales leaders which was our target audience. They were our ideal customer profile. And I'd find a VP sales who had written recommendations for really good reps on their team. It's something you can do on LinkedIn. You could look up the profile, see what recommendations they've written. And in the subject line of my emails to that VP, I would say, create an army of, for instance, Michelle Tandlers. And that caught their attention because obviously they were impressed enough with that sales rep that they had written them a recommendation. And as a sales leader, if you're writing a recommendation for a rep, you probably want more of those kinds of people. So I wrote a lot of emails that said, you know, create an army of Michelle Tandlers, or uh, wouldn't it be great if you could clone Michelle Tandler or something like that. But it catches their eye. They go, wait, they're talking about my rep. Then they open the email and they go, oh my God, yeah, Michelle was the best rep I've ever had and you could help me do more of what she did. Let's talk. Oh my gosh. That's an amazing example. Okay. Do you have any other ones that you can think of? <laughs> or do you just send seat. that to everybody? That was a really good one. Um, <laughs> you know, I also think showing people that you have done your research, that's just as important. It's almost like courting in a relationship, right? If you can come in and reference something that they've put on their blog or a bio on some company website, or even a better as a personal website. Um, maybe you'll find that they're impassioned about craft beer. Uh, maybe there's something else that they really spend a lot of their time outside of work doing. See if you can weave that into the fabric of your subject line. Um, 
you know, craft craft beer and cold emails, something like that. Something that's going to humanize the the conversation, get them to recognize that hey, you've done your research. You're probably not reaching out to them unless there's a at least a conversation worth having. Um, and, and maybe maybe that conversation is only worth having in your mind, but you've got something there. Mm-hmm. Do you mind my asking what your typical open rate is? Is that too uh, personal a question to ask? No, it's not too personal. I, th- I think it really depends on the audience that you're reaching out to, the market segment. Um, I have some email sequences right now that are like 7%. I have one email sequence that's 23%. I have one specific email that I send when I'm not getting a response back from anybody. That is the shortest email I've ever written, but it is probably the most consistently um, high return email I send. And it is literally, if I was reaching out to you, Michelle, it would say, hi, Michelle, guessing you're slammed right now, dot, dot, dot. Any thoughts here? You're building tactical empathy. It's short and punchy. And most people do have thoughts about something, right? And so if you Hmm. can just get that original email back in front of them, that one works really well. And then the other one that seems to work really well, and this is playing on human psychology, is changing the subject line of the email thread in the middle of the communication. So oftentimes, you know, you'll be eight, nine emails in, somebody might stop responding, you send a couple follow-ups. I will change the subject line of that thread to given up question mark. And the body of the email is, hey, Michelle, have you given up on this project for the time being? Nobody likes to give up. Oh my goodness. It, it is incredible. <laughs> and in that case, I, I I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel like I'm tricking anybody. I don't think there's anything uh, disingenuous about it because truly, if somebody's not responding and they've given up on the project, they've given up. They might, might not want to admit it, but it's a real forcing function, right? Do I have bandwidth for this or not? Have I given up or is it still an active project? If active, let's get something on the calendar. Let's continue moving this forward. If it's not, let's shake hands and stay friends. Not a problem. Oh my gosh, I love that. All right, that's a perfect segue into, I think, the next thing that we wanted to talk about, which is the body of the email. Can you tell us more about what you put in the body of the email? Yeah, so I would say first and foremost, especially when we're talking about we're still talking about cold outreach here, right? This is not a engaged prospect in a sales cycle. Mm -hmm. Make it short. Shakespeare said it. Brevity is the soul of wit. Send the note to yourself first, open it on your mobile device and see how long it is. From my perspective, if you have to scroll to read the entirety of that email, it's too long. And the reason I say that is if you're reaching out to the right prospects, they're probably VP level or above, right? Decision makers. These people are usually pretty busy and they may have back-to-back meetings all day and all week, and they don't have time to sit there and respond to emails. But if they're on a call and your email pops up on their screen and they can read it in one look, you've just delivered your entire message. If they don't have time to look at it on their screen and they have to scroll or it requires them to really uh, you know, click links and look at all this, you're, you're asking them for a time commitment before you've earned the right to ask for their time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that element is something to keep in mind. Um, I've seen it work really well for other reps as well. So next time you're writing a cold email, send it to yourself, 
check it on your phone first and then send it out to your prospects. Mm-hmm. I, I think another important element to talk about here is the recognition of one's own strengths and weaknesses. Sales is a brutal sport. Hard stop. If you can't be real about what you're good at and what you're bad at, it's going to be a lot harder. But there's also an opportunity there because if you know that you can light up a room when you walk in and you have that charisma and you're great at talking to people, maybe you're going to do better on the phones. Conversely, if you're a complete introvert, and by the way, introverts do really well in sales, maybe you are a history major or an English major and you're really good with written copy. You should over-index on emails. I won't pretend to know what the magic formula is for anybody listening here, but that's why we do something called split testing or A-B testing, where you, you know, maybe you do 50 cold calls and 50 emails and you figure out what is the yield. Again, what are the opportunities created or whatever, whatever your defining metric is for success, right? Find a correlation. What works better for you as a rep? And this could require a thousand cold calls and a thousand emails to really hone in on, on, you know, actionable data. But this is part of the process, right? People talk about sales as an art, as a science. I would say this is one of the more kind of scientific elements of it where there is a way of testing what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. What else? In, in terms of the, the content itself, there is a method called three by three research that I have been using my entire career. It's simple. It works. The idea is that in three minutes, you should be able to find three pieces of relevant information about a contact or an account. It could be recent funding. It could be a recent hire. It could be a new product release. It could be anything that's relevant uh, and and specific to this uh, contact or, or the account that you're trying to get into. So I do that research and then I put that research into the email. And typically I'm looking at about five lines, including my intro and outro. So, uh, you know, don't mince, don't mince words, um, get right into it. And if you look at the way that the executive team at your company is communicating, it's almost like a game to see who can have the least characters in their type. So don't be afraid about making it short and punchy, get to the point, speak their language, make them feel like you've been here before and you deserve a place at the table. Mm-hmm. Related to that, what kind of tone do you usually take in an email? Like very serious, straightforward, or does it depend on the person? It depends on the person. And I think that's part of knowing your ideal customer profile. If you're reaching out to somebody in sales, you can probably get away with some sales jargon. If you're selling to a CTO or a CISO, uh, Chief Information Security Officer, they don't really tend to have much patience for sales jargon and a lot of humor in their emails. It's just not the world that they tend to live in. That being said, there's nothing wrong with making it a little bit personal, right? Injecting your own tone in there, showing some humor, some empathy, some authenticity. People love authentic. So I think that would probably be my one, if there's one word that I could say um, to kind of guide people's approaches, authenticity. People can sniff out BS, especially senior leaders who are getting dozens of sales emails every day. So I think from a tone, make it respectful, make it personal, uh, and inject a little bit of your your um, yourself into it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think, you know, something I read about when I was prepping for this conversation was also about the emotional toll that this can take on the person writing the email and that they can start to get burned out Mm. from all the rejection, which is pretty common. Do you find that people tire? How do you keep it light and humorous and authentic when you're pounding the pavement and hearing no a bunch or crickets? (laughs) It, 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 it can be exhausting. And I think part of the reason mental health is such a big conversation in sales right now is it is a oftentimes lonely road with a lot of rejection. And even the best sales reps face more rejection than they do acceptance of what they're doing. I mean, that's it, just, it's what it is. So in terms of how do you handle the, the emotion and the burnout of it, um, I, I think it is important to be very close to your manager, right? They need to know when you are overburdened, when you need a break. That's what they're there for. That's what your team is there for. Um, again, though, I think the way to make it fun for yourself, even when people say no, is finding that relevant information. Uh, it's kind of the idea of that that um, incorrigible element to a salesperson right? Where you're still going to smile and be polite and helpful no matter what they say. And if you go into it with that mentality, you really can't lose. Even if they say something nasty to you, six and stones. Mm-hmm. What are some common mistakes that people make in cold outreach? I'll run through a few here. Pitch slapping with a P is something that has been recently coined. You may have seen it referred to on LinkedIn. The idea is that you connect with somebody on LinkedIn. So it'd be, hey, Michelle, would love to add you to my network. Something like that. And then immediately after you accept it, I send you a three-paragraph pitch on why I'm great, why my product is great, why you should engage with my company. It is, it's a lot. And I think most people have probably been in that position uh, as a recipient. From my perspective, it is a scorched earth tactic. It turns buyers off. And candidly, it makes sales a lot harder for the rest of us. It's just sloppy. Another mistake, taking too long to get to the point. Uh, we've all you know, heard the reference to the meetings that could have been an email. It's the same idea here. When it comes to cold outreach, I don't need to know your company history. I don't need to know why your company is so great. By the way, buyers care a lot less about our funding than we think they do. I don't care why you work there, how you're helping other customers. Just tell me how you're going to help solve my problem that I'm struggling with. The last thing I would say, uh, probably overly formal tone, uh, getting an email that feels like you're being reached out to from the, you know, the butler of the symphony or something is a little bit dry, a little bit boring. So uh, don't be afraid to use conjunctions and you know, maybe you're, you don't need to use a Oxford comma. Yeah, I'd say those are three things. Mm -hmm. That's a great set of uh, do's and don'ts, Jesse. Thank you so much for sharing all those. I will take notes on these and put them in the show notes. Before we wrap, there's something I want to get your opinion on. So I was reading a very interesting article in a blog post, and I'll link it in the show notes, that talked about this tactic of asking people if they're interested rather than asking them for their time in the call to action. It said, basically, time is a finite resource. So when you ask someone, oh, can I have 15 minutes of your time? Or can I just have 10 minutes of your time? You're basically asking someone for a favor, and they've never even met you, and it's uncomfortable. It recommended instead saying, 
you know, would you be interested in having a conversation? Basically, the idea is that you have unlimited interest. So you're not asking someone to give you something or give something up. You are inquiring if they are interested. And if they are, then they can say yes. And it won't feel like a favor. It'll feel more bi-directional. Is this something that you have noticed in action? Do you agree with that? Um, It made sense to me, but I didn't know if that was... I mean, almost every email I got asked for my time. So I'm curious if this is more the norm or not. Michelle, you articulated it perfectly. We refer to to calls to action. The the short-term abbreviation is a CTA. And so an interest-focused CTA is definitely the best way to get a response from a prospect. There's a lot of data supporting this. The idea is is, um, pretty much exactly as you portrayed it. The idea that uh, interest is infinite, but time is finite. And it's almost that ability to take kind of a third party consultative approach where I'm not coming at you directly head on and saying, I want to talk to you. I'm, if I'm doing my job right, I'm presenting something that is valuable to you as a person in your role with your struggles, your priorities. And then at the end, I'm saying, are you interested in solving for those problems? Are you interested in learning more about how I can help you with your specific issue? Mm-hmm. It's a different approach. It's subtle, uh, but I encourage listeners to, again, do that split testing we were talking about, the A-B testing. Try putting that into your cold outreach sequences for the next week. Use interest instead of asking for time on the calendar and see what happens. We'd love to mm-hmm. know. Yeah. That reminds me of something we've talked about before with the personal pronouns in the email that something you often coach junior people on is if an email is filled with I and me, things like, you know, I would love to talk to you or would you like to talk to me? Um, It's too much oriented towards the salesperson and not enough towards the person who you're ideally trying to help with your product. It seems like there's a real theme here about making it about the other person. Yep. That is one of the most important things about sales and relationships in general. I mean, you can take it down to, to going out on a date with somebody. I don't think there are a lot of people out there that really enjoy going on a date where they are just listening to somebody talking about themselves the whole time. It's not very fun. I think a lot of us have been there before. And, uh, you know, it's the same idea in sales. I, if you're reaching out to me in the middle of the day to tell me how great you are, I'm really happy for you, but I probably don't have time to respond. Yeah. I think it that the theme there really seems to be about empathy, about, you know, thinking about the other person, that they're probably a little bit wary of the fact you're a stranger, that a cold email can feel intrusive. Um, you know, you've spoken about the importance of being polite, of using humor, which will be more fun for them to read, uh, and just sort of thinking about the person receiving the cold email. I think that that's a good place to wrap. I know you have to jump to your next meeting. Sounds like the TLDR here is cold emails and outreach absolutely work, but you need to know your audience and you should write to someone like a human and be empathetic towards the person that you're writing towards and think about how you can help them with your solution. 100%. At the end of the day, we are all just people trying to do our jobs. And if you can take it down to that level and connect with somebody on a human level, it's going to be a lot more human conversation. I like it. All right. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thank you, Michelle. I'll talk to you soon. All right, folks, that concludes today's session. We hope you found this helpful. You can find the notes from this conversation linked in the show notes on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe at www.growthpathlabs.com. Hope to see you next time. Thanks.